0: I received an email the other day from a sophomore at DePaul University named Ty Krizenga, who recently completed an assignment for one of his audio engineering courses in which he was to develop an intro for an existing podcast. Being a fan of this very podcast, well, that's what he did. Ty, thanks for sending this and for listening. It brightened my week. Chicago, a city of beauty, strength, and power. Chicago, commercial capital of the nation, agricultural market, and industrial center of the world. Chicago, the most American of American cities. Chicago, 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 Chicago Chicago History Podcast. Welcome to the Chicago History Podcast with Tommy Henry, where we discuss Chicago history, the places, events, and the people behind it all. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth, but when this Chicago-born department store heir died mysteriously at the age of 20, things really got weird. On today's episode, Montgomery Ward Thorne. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. (laughs) A little background on Montgomery Ward, formerly one of the biggest mail order companies and mall department stores in America. Montgomery Ward and Company was founded here in Chicago in 1872 by Aaron Montgomery Ward as a mail order operation. Business was slow in the beginning, and Ward's two business partners soon left. In stepped a man named George Robinson Thorne, who would eventually become Ward's brother-in-law. By 1900, the mail-order-only company, they didn't add retail stores until 1926, had sales of $8.7 million, about a quarter of a billion dollars in today's money, and just slightly less than competitor Sears Roebuck and company. Needless to say, the founders of Montgomery Ward were sitting pretty financially, as were their heirs. George Robinson Thorne eventually passed the reins of the company to his son, William Cobb Thorne, who had started with the company as general manager, and eventually became president. William Thorne and his wife, Catherine Comstock Thorne, were the parents of one daughter and two sons. One of those sons was Gordon Comstock Thorne. Now, I realize I just threw a lot of names at you, but you can ignore most of those if you like, as we're about to get to the core players in this drama. A few years after William C. Thorne died of pneumonia at age 52, Gordon Comstock Thorne's mother, Catherine, created a trust for him worth $2 million. This was in 1921. It's a little more than $29 million in today's money. With this kind of family money, the younger Thorne really didn't have to work. And I found no evidence that he did. So, how did Gordon Comstock Thorne, great name by the way, spend his time? Well, he was a uh, bit of a party guy. His nickname, according to one source, was 30 Drink Thorne. G.C. Thorne once described his idea of a pleasant evening in Paris as. 10 cocktails before dinner and say three brandies with coffee and dinner, then five or six highballs and glasses of champagne. I don't know if he really sounded like that, but in my mind he did. Gordon Thorne also apparently liked to get married, which he did in 1917, then in 1922, and then in 1926. Those first three marriages all ended in divorce. When his first marriage ended, his wife told the divorce judge that Gordon Thorne enjoyed whiskey and raw eggs for breakfast and went on from there with a silver flask in his pocket. Stories from Gordon Thorne's second marriage were similar to the first. That silver flask the young millionaire carried appeared more than once in the divorce testimony. The flask never stayed full, and never stayed empty. When Gordon Thorne married a popular young society woman named Anne Elstone Clore, Clore admitted she intended to reform Thorne, but after two years she said the job was too big for her. She received a $30,000 settlement in lieu of alimony, almost $450,000 in today's money. When Gordon Comstock Thorne came down with a severe case of pneumonia, he met the woman who would become wife number four, his nurse at Augustana Hospital in Chicago. Marion Bolin-McDougal, who grew up in Wisconsin, had herself gotten divorced the year before from a dentist in Hammond, Indiana. Marion was described in sources as no-nonsense, nursing Thorne back to health and getting him sober. Gordon and Marion married in 1929, and their union produced a son, Montgomery Ward Thorne, born in October of 1933. The three of them resided at 3400 North Lakeshore Drive. In November of 1934, Montgomery Ward Thorne's parents proudly announced their son was on his way to being a philanthropist, having paid for the building and maintenance of part of the Chicago Medical Society's exhibit at the World's Fair. He was one year old, so... A blurb in the January 16, 1935 Chicago Tribune explained Mr. and Mrs. Gordon C. Thorne with their baby son... A nurse and a valet would embark on the SS President Coolidge on the first lap of a trip that would take them around the world, with Honolulu, the Orient, India, Egypt, and Europe all as part of the four month itinerary. In January of 1939, while staying at his apartment at 1900 Collins Avenue in Miami, Florida, Gordon Comstock Thorne died unexpectedly of a heart attack at the age of 44. Newspapers across the country carried the story. Many of them mentioned his wife and young son. A few of them mentioned the number of ex-wives and how, quote, his alimony payments have been estimated at hundreds of thousands of dollars, end quote. Gordon Thorne left an estate worth $2.6 million, a little more than $48 million in today's money. Gordon Thorne's will specified his son would receive an allowance of $500 per month until the age of 21, at which time it would be increased to $1,000 per month until the age of 30, then $3,000 until he is 35, when he would then receive the entire inheritance. He would also get another $5,000 if he graduated from college, and an additional $5,000 if he graduated with honors. In keeping with his mother's request, Gordon Thorne also left $25,000 to Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, his alma mater, for the establishment of the Catherine Comstock Fellowship for Biological Research. In August of 1943, Montgomery Ward Thorne's mother petitioned the court to get the nine-year-old's allowance increased from $500 to $1,000 a month Leading hardship due to higher taxes and higher living costs. According to the widow Thorne, when her husband was alive, they had nine servants, two automobiles, and a yacht. Marion Thorne went on to say that now, quote, We only have one servant, one car, and no yacht, end quote. The court approved an increase in November of that year to $1,900 per month. So, $500 $500 in 1943 was a little more than $7,500 in today's money, which means the nine-year-old's allowance then jumped to nearly $29,000 per month in today's money. Oof, boy, On Christmas Eve 1951, at a private party at Chicago's Drake Towers, Monty Thorne, as he was often called, met a young woman described as a, quote, demure, cameo-faced blonde, end quote. I I still don't know if cameo-faced is a compliment. uh, Named Maureen Reagan. Reagan wasn't terribly impressed by Monty. After all, he was 18 and she was just 15. However, three months later, Maureen agreed to a date. Their friendship developed into a teenage romance somewhat warily on the part of Maureen. You see, Maureen came from money as well so Monty's riches didn't really impress her. Maureen's grandfather was 65-year-old racing news czar James M. Reagan Sr. I've read reports about Reagan that made him sound like he was a totally mobbed-up guy with the Irish in Chicago, and I've also read that he was an honest guy who wanted to operate his business in a legitimate way. One thing that is certain is one day in June of 1946, he was alone in his car at a red light at South State Street and Pershing Road, that's 39th Street, when a delivery truck full of crates covered with a tarp pulled up alongside him. A volley of blasts from shotguns tore into him, nearly tearing off one shoulder. This was the second attempt on his life in seven weeks. 65 years old. Somehow Reagan survived, a car traveling behind him with two bodyguards brought him to Michael Reese Hospital, where Reagan was heard saying, quote, well, I guess if they want you, they're going to get you, end quote. Surgeons at Michael Reese Hospital considered amputating his mangled arm, but felt they didn't need to. Police, meanwhile, sought for questioning in the shooting holdover members of Al Capone's gang, including, are you ready? Jaime, Loudmouth Levin, Jake, Greasy Thumb, Guzik, Murray, The Camel, Humphreys, I see what they did there, Joseph Marcangelo, no cool mob name, and Chicago History Podcast favorite Tony Accardo, known as Joey Batters. Reagan was put under 24-hour police protection while in the hospital and agreed to name the shooters... Reagan died in the hospital 51 days later after a mysteriously administered dose of mercury. His killers were never brought to trial, and his killing remains unsolved. Granddaughter Maureen was just 10. Before he died, Reagan said, If they rub me out, I have three sons who will step into my shoes. It appears Maureen's father, James Reagan Jr., disagreed. Reagan Jr. was so shaken by the events, he sold his share of the racing news service. The family's finances suffered, but with investments in real estate and the stock market, they were still pretty well off. Reagan pleaded with his wife, Aileen, to move the family to Europe. She did not want to uproot the family. So eventually Reagan Jr. left on his own for Europe, divorcing Maureen's mother in July of 1952. He was quoted as saying, I'm afraid to return to Chicago. I fear for my life. Also in 1952, Montgomery Ward Thorne attended Lake Forest Academy, an expensive college prep in the northern suburbs along the lake. In the entry next to his yearbook photo, it mentions his participation in football, hockey, and baseball. It also mentions his interest in diesel engineering and that he was seriously considering it for a future occupation. That would not come to pass. In the fall of 1953, Monty and Maureen Reagan both went to New York schools. He went to Fordham University, and Maureen went to Manhattanville College of the Sacred Heart. They were able to see each other on Saturdays and take in a movie or go shopping on Fifth Avenue. To friends, all seemed to be going pretty well. After his freshman year at Fordham University in New York, Monty Thorne drove back to Chicago, but instead of living at his mother's 17-room apartment in Drake Towers at 179 East Lakeshore Drive, he checked into the Mark Twain Hotel at Clark and Division. He then moved into a studio apartment, number 404, at 54 East Scott Street on Chicago's Gold Coast. I should clarify, the area is now called the Gold Coast, but back then the area was a bit mm, disreputable. On Friday, June 18, 1954, Monty spent the day with Maureen and her mother Aileen out driving with Maureen's younger sister. They made plans for a picnic the next day. Later that night, Monty saw his friend Suzanne Rooks briefly. According to Rooks, she said goodbye to him at approximately 4 a.m. on the morning of June 19th. Ready for the picnic Saturday morning, Maureen Reagan waited and waited. No Monty. He didn't answer her calls. She went to his apartment, but he didn't answer the door. Concerned, she had the landlord open the door. There, to her horror, she found Montgomery Ward Thorne, dead at age 20, sprawled out on his bed, wearing only shorts. His lips were flecked with blood, and his arms had nine neat needle marks. Four were fresh. The tiny studio apartment was allegedly thoroughly searched and then ordered locked and sealed. Thorne's time of death was put at about 5 a.m., about an hour after Suzanne Rooks reported last seeing him. The coroner, Walter E. McCarran, later discovered that a door into the apartment from a connecting bathroom was unlocked. It was then he discovered a hypodermic needle, a girl's flower-trimmed girdle, the butt of a marijuana cigarette, a capsule of heroin, and a lipstick-smeared napkin. Maureen Reagan, Thorne's fiancée, was convinced the drug paraphernalia was planted. She also believed the track marks on his arms were also planted. According to Reagan, Thorne usually wore short-sleeved shirts, so needle marks would have been noticeable. She did say he was always broke, so he sold blood when he needed money. According to Maureen, quote, He was great and good. He simply had no faults. He didn't drink. Why, he didn't even drink coffee, just milk. End quote. An official from Fordham University was later quoted as saying, Young Thorne was a fine athlete, a good student, and deeply religious. He served Mass every morning in the school chapel. We would know it here, I assure you, if he had been a drinker or dope user. Maureen Reagan claimed they planned to marry in December of 1954 and wanted to study animal husbandry at the University of Michigan and eventually operate a ranch in Arizona. Something else that came out in the days after the discovery of Monty Thorne's body, he had changed his will nine days before his death, leaving one half of his roughly $2 million estate to Maureen Reagan, one quarter to Reagan's mother, Aileen, and an eighth to each his mother and his aunt. In Monty's previous will, nearly all of it went to his mother, During the inquest into Thorne's death, Montgomery Ward Thorne's attorney, Jay Stowe, claimed Monty had, quote, asked me how he could investigate what his mother had done with his money and about his guardianship, end quote. Joseph R. Julian, an associate of Stowe, claimed that Thorne had come to him the previous Friday to say something had, quote, gone very, very wrong, end quote, with the administration of his father's estate. According to a Time Magazine article dated July 26, 1954, titled Manners and Morals, The Tragedy of Monty Thorne, Mrs. Reagan testified that Thorne was afraid to eat with his mother's lawyer because something would be put in his soup. He said he knew he wouldn't get his inheritance because his mother had spent it. Mrs. Marion McDougal Thorne, with mink stole, morning garb, reddened toenails, and with rosary beads clutched in her hand, replied pointedly, The boy went in and made a will, and nine days later he's dead. How do you explain that? Her lawyers had dug up evidence that her son was a drug addict, and thus perhaps incompetent to change his will. The Reagan lawyers dug up evidence that he was a clean-cut, clean-living lad, and legally competent. Mrs. Thorne also said she knew nothing about Monty and Maureen getting engaged. After Thorne's autopsy, the coroner's physician, Harry Leon, attributed his death to a combination of narcotics, alcohol, and sleeping pills. Leon was quoted as saying, He died by undue means, end quote, which many took to mean he felt it was murder. Montgomery Ward Thorne was buried at the family plot in Section 100 at Rose Hill Cemetery on Chicago's near north side. Also during the inquest into Thorne's death, a group of pathologists brought in questioned the original findings of the cause of death. On July 13, 1954, the body of Monty Thorne was exhumed from its grave in Rosehill Cemetery. Instead of one medical examiner, Thorne's body would be assessed by a panel of pathologists in order to determine the true cause of his death. The coffin remained sealed in a room in the county morgue. The door to the room was also sealed with a police guard stationed in front. At the examination, both Monty Thorne's mother, Marion and his fiance Maureen, had medical representatives to view the procedure. On July 29, 1954, the panel of the four pathologists reported their findings. Montgomery Ward Thorne died of acute bronchial pneumonia. The skin on his arms near the puncture wounds showed no sign of narcotics. In December of that year, 1954, Montgomery ward Thorne's personal facts were turned over to Maureen Reagan. They included water skis, a comic book, a jar of peanut butter, a first baseman's mitt, a pair of ladies' high-heeled shoes, a bottle of mustard, and Maureen's love letters. 1955 and 1956 saw much back and forth and legal wrangling regarding the will from everything I read, The lawyers were making out like bandits. Mud was slung equally in both directions. In April of nineteen fifty seven, it was reported the dispute over Monty Thorne's estate was settled. Maureen Reagan and her mother received two hundred and forty two thousand one hundred and fifty dollars. That's worth about two and a quarter million dollars in today's money. Monty's aunt, Carol Lind, received fifty-two thousand one hundred eighty-nine dollars. Under the court arrangement, Marion Thorne was permitted to withdraw $642,719 from the trust to pay off the lawyers and settle some other debts related to Monty. The remainder of the balance would also stay under Marion Thorne's control and would provide her $36,000 per year for the rest of her life. That's equal to $335,000 per year in today's money. Maureen Reagan showed up in the news once again the following year in late 1958 when it was announced the then 23 year old married 30 year old William Calto at St. Agnes Roman Catholic Church in Detroit, Michigan. Calto, it was reported, worked with his father in a plaster contracting business called Calto Brown at 30 North LaSalle Street in Chicago. I don't believe I found a single headline or news story about the wedding that did not make mention of Maureen's role in the Monty Thorne situation. When Monty Thorne's mother, Marion Thorne, died in December of 1966 at the age of 70, she was referred to as the, quote, widow of an heir to the Montgomery Ward mail-order fortune, end quote. Newspapers also acknowledged her philanthropy— she had donated large sums of money to Augustana Hospital, DePaul University, St. Peter's Catholic Church, Holy Name Cathedral, and other Catholic charities. Papers also noted that Northwestern University's Thorne Hall, since demolished, was named in her husband's honor. In present day, Thorne Auditorium is in the Arthur Rubloff Building at 375 East Chicago Avenue. According to sources, Maureen Reagan's marriage to William Calto produced one child, but the relationship ended in divorce. Reagan was living in McAllen, Texas in October of 1980 when her car left the roadway and submerged in a canal where she drowned. According to her death certificate, her death was listed as accidental. It also noted the then 45-year-old was suffering from micronodular cirrhosis of the liver, often caused by chronic alcohol-induced liver injury. Montgomery Ward closed its catalog business in 1985 after 113 years in operation. The company's retail division closed in 2001 after some business missteps and competition from other stores. In 2004, a company bought the Ward's trademarks and began selling products online and through catalogs. enjoyed today's episode about the mysterious death of Montgomery Ward Thorne. Thanks again to Tyler Kruzenga for that cool audio intro. Best wishes on your studies, Tyler. Feel free to reach out if you have questions about anything covered today or anything to add. My email is chicagohistorypod at gmail.com For more pictures and info related to the story and ooh, I got a bunch, follow Chicago History Podcast on instagram facebook and twitter if you enjoy this podcast please leave a five-star rating or even better a written review especially if you listen on apple podcasts as it will help the podcast grow and reach new fans the chicago history podcast logo and the art used on the social media pages was created by john k schneider thanks johnny can be found at angel eyes art jks on instagram or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com we'll be back next week with another chapter in chicago's history until then get out and explore when possible learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe